Imagine something with me this morning. It's two o'clock in the morning. You've been trying to sleep because you have to get up earlier than normal to go to work because you have a big project that is due and your boss has been riding you hard and you don't want to have problems or maybe you're the boss and you're carrying all the weight it feels like kind of feel like no one else is is maybe doing the part their part the way they should and it's two o'clock in the morning and you're not sleeping you can't sleep and there's a reason why you can't sleep your six month old baby has not stopped crying for one minute all night you put the baby to bed at 8 p.m. and Crying and crying, and you know this, you're the parent, it's probably another ear infection, and you feel heartbroken because your child is hurting, and you're walking in circles with your baby, holding the baby, knowing that in three or four hours you have to get out of bed and go to work and try to be your best, and something's starting to happen inside of you. You're getting irritated, you're getting frustrated. You're getting worried about not having enough sleep. You're getting angry at the situation. And you're holding that beautiful, precious little baby. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, in the darkness of their room, you feel like doing this. You just want to say, baby, just shut up. I need to go to sleep. Your heart, your heart, you love your baby. But you're, you're overtired. Anybody ever been there? If you're not, if you haven't been, you have never raised a child. And in some situations, hopefully in none of our situations ever, but in situations that we actually know people, in situations like that, frustration turns to anger, anger turns to a lack of control, and you take, somebody takes that little baby and they go, stop it! And they shake their baby and they yell at their baby. We even have a term for it. What do we call it? Shaken baby syndrome. Now, I've never done it to my kids, but I remember a time. I remember a day so clearly living in Marquette, Michigan, and Josh, I felt Josh was, a, was so sad. He was always ill as a baby. He always had ear infections. That's why I could just pull this out of my memory bank. And he was crying and crying and crying, and I had to get up, and I had him, and I honestly think I said something like this. He was in our bedroom, and he was a few months old, and I said to Suzanne, I'm going to throw him out the window. You know, because we had a second story, and I'm like, I'm, it was tons of snow or in the UP, and I'm like, I'm just going to throw him out the window. I can't take it. And Suzanne said, Mark, give me Josh. <laughs> she, I can, right? Like yesterday, give me Josh. You know, and then we had a, you know, we had a little crib or a little whatever bassinet in the bedroom. She was, I'm going in the other room. And she took Josh, and she went in the other room. And so I'm not saying what my little hypothetical story that's not so hypothetical um, based on, oh, this could be, but it's something that's very real. And when I want you to think about something, what is that situation? You know, we said shaken baby syndrome or something like that. What is it really all about? This, okay, there's something deep underneath it. It's basically this. It's strength out of control. 
So little baby and big dad or little baby or five-year-old child and mom or dad or bully or school teacher, one's got great strength. And that situation is strength out of control. It's one who has great strength losing control or greater strength losing control and using their strength in an inappropriate way. Another illustration of that could be something, it could be a boss, it could be a parent, it could be a teacher, it could be a spouse, who uses their position of authority to harm or hurt or humiliate someone under their control or under their authority. They're using their strength of either their physical strength or the strength of their position in an out-of-control way, a way that harms other people. And that idea of the strong person dominating the weak person or the authority figure um, using the people under them is very normal way of living in our world that we live in. There's a saying in our, in our world, at least it has been around for a long time, I'm not sure maybe some younger people are real familiar with this, but there's a saying that says, might makes right. Might makes right. Now it's a rotten saying, but it's just reality in many people in the world. In other words, it means this, that those who are stronger or in a position of authority can impose their will, what they want, on others under them, um, people who are weaker than them. They can impose, weaker by position or weaker by strength, they can impose their position or authority or will on somebody weaker. Now here's the question for today. Why in the world would I start off a sermon talking about this? In fact, I was talking about the sermon to Josh, and he goes, wow, like you're going nuclear right off the bat. Shake, he goes, shaken baby syndrome? <laughs> really, Dad? Why would I talk about this idea today? And you're such a serious illustration. Because this idea of strength out of control is at the heart of the character quality that we're going to look at today from the Fruit of the Spirit series that we're in. If you're visiting with us, we're in a nine-week series on the Fruit of the Spirit, and we have a little booklet that goes with that that are available at the Connection Center that each week has different ways you can, as, as couples and as families, deal with each of the Fruit of the Spirit. And us, and at the same time, our kids' church, we're all going through the same fruit together. And this is the one we're, we're dealing with today. It has to do with this idea, um, dealing with this idea of strength out of control. And I started with a really serious illustration because I want to show how very serious this one is that we're dealing with today because I think it's one we could overlook. One that we could say it's not that important. So let's say again or read again our verse that we've been taking all of our all of our sermons out of from Galatians 5. You should be able to say it by now. This is our eighth time of doing this verse. Let's say it. Let's read it together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you've been with us, we come to number eight today. Today we come to gentleness. Do you know what gentleness, gentleness really means? Um... We kind of think this, especially maybe men. Gentleness means petting kittens, playing with puppies. Uh, matter of fact, Suzanne found something for me I was looking for. There was a cartoon. I was going to actually play part of a cartoon today, and it's a Daffy Duck cartoon. And it's this great big guy 
remember what he was, and he has Daffy Duck. And he's going, and I will pet him, and I will play with him. You know the cartoon I'm talking about? Right? And I will love him, and it's, it's Daffy Duck. You know, and I was going to play that today, but I, I chose not to. Um, because sometimes we think that's what gentleness is all about. But you know what gentleness really is? Gentleness means strength under control. That's the biblical definition of gentleness as it's used here. Um, the, the, the same word, the Greek word that, that's used here for gentleness is the same word used elsewhere in the New Testament for meekness. And meekness maybe help us a little more understand this because we understand something, that meekness isn't what? Weakness. Meekness isn't weakness. Gentleness or meekness, kind of connected here, are just the opposite of, 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 of weakness. Meekness and gentleness is the ultimate expression of strength. It's strength under control. It's giving the baby to someone else when you're at your breaking point. It's not abusing or misusing those who are subordinate to you, even though you can and you can get away with it. It's a parent not yelling at, screaming at their children just to get them to fall in line because I said so. Right? Famous parental line that we hopefully don't use, but it's, it's easy to do when we don't understand gentleness. And my contention today is this, because this is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of our maturing as we walk in, in, in step with the, with the work of the Holy Spirit within us. These are things that will grow in us and develop in us. And I would say this, it takes the Holy Spirit's activity within us to help us to grow so that we rise above our cultural norm of using our strength to dominate or harm or intimidate others for our own advantage in life. Because that's just what goes on all around us. So gentleness. Gentleness is strength under control. The Apostle Paul is saying it's God's plan that as we walk with him and allow the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit and partner with the Holy Spirit in our lives as we grow with him, that we will be people who will become more gentle. And you know what, especially for us guys, and this isn't just a guy thing, but sometimes we overlook this, I'm awful glad the Holy Spirit helps us because I think I've come a long ways in this in my life and i got a long ways to go yet. But if I look at the fruit of the Spirit, this is probably the one that's the, the least natural for me. The least natural for, for a culture that just says, if, you know, if you're strong enough to do it, just do it and do what you want to do. And, and you know, you, have, you can, so do it. Gentleness. Gentleness is what we see revealed most perfectly in Jesus. And I want us to look at something in Scripture that shows us uh, the greatest picture you can find of gentleness anywhere. So in Jesus' um, arrest and crucifixion, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read a fairly long section, about nine verses, Matthew 26. or Yes, Matthew 26. And I want you to pay attention because there's going to be two things revealed here. There's going to be the normal way people react using their strength and power. And there's going to be godly meekness revealed in this situation. Matthew 26, you there? Starting in verse 47. It says, while he was still speaking, that's Jesus, 
Behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put that sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say, it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus in this story is the ultimate expression of gentleness. He's the ultimate expression of a tough guy. Of, of, of the toughest, strongest guy on its ever, man that's ever existed in human history. Look at it in the story from the story, and we think it's talking about Peter. This is one of the disciples. Look at the typical use of human strength. One of the twelve sees his friend Jesus being arrested, and he pulls out his sword. And it's obvious what he tries to do. He tries to lop off the head of the man. And he misses his head, and he cuts off his ear. In other words, in another place, another uh, um, telling of this story in one of the other Gospels, it says Jesus actually goes and heals the man and puts his ear back on his head. But he, he comes and he, and he says, you're not going to take him. I'm going to fight for what I stand for. And he chops off his ear, fighting for the cause. A lot of times in the church world, we even misunderstand this idea of gentleness, and we're all for fighting for the cause. And I'm telling you, it doesn't line up what Scripture says. Fighting for the cause. It doesn't show it that way. Gentleness doesn't do it that way. We're going to get with that in a little while. Fighting for the cause. Strength used to fight, to defend, to get my way. Even if it's a good way. A good, to get my way. But look at Jesus. Jesus said, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is saying this. He had the ability to call on 6,000 angels to fight for him. But he knew what the scriptures needed, that the scriptures needed to be fulfilled and that it said that he would die for mankind and that he would rise again but it had to happen this way. So in the greatest display of strength ever seen in all of humanity, he controls his power 
and he lets others actually take his life. That's the ultimate example of gentleness. Strength. I've got the ability to kick your butt or to put you down or to win under control. But I'm choosing not to do it. Now, I don't think any of us will ever be at a partner, a point in our lives where we're going to have such an extreme situation like Jesus has here. But Scripture does give us some very real examples of how we are to be gentle in situations in our everyday lives, how, how we should be gentle in interacting, and we're going to look at it with three different groups of people that we all have in our lives. So let's look at, at three ways that Scripture says that we're to be gentle. The first one is this. Gentleness should govern Christian relationships. Gentleness should govern Christian relationships. Turn in your Bibles with me to Titus. Right after Timothy, Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 together. You there? Titus, chapter 3. Look what it says in verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all men. You know what's going on in this? Jumping in the middle of a book. This is the Apostle Paul writing to... Titus, who's, who's somebody he's mentored and is now pastoring, he's writing a letter. He can't call him on the phone and tell him what to do. So he's writing him a letter telling him what he should do, telling him what he should teach to the Christians under his care, how he should challenge them to live. And Paul says, make sure you tell them to be gentle toward one another. Why do you think of all the things that the Apostle Paul could have written to, to Titus to instruct the church about that in that very short list that he gives there, he would have said, tell them to be gentle to one another. I think there's a few reasons. First, it's how you and I have been treated by God. God surely has had enough reasons to grab me by the shoulders and shake me. Right? He's had enough reasons to grab you by the shoulders and shake you. You know, we deserve harshness a lot of times. But he gives love. That's what gentleness is. I deserve to be treated one way, harshly, but he controls that response and instead he offers love. That's strength under control. God doesn't shake me just because he can He is loving and He is kind. That is gentleness. So as image bearers of God, people who are made in the image of God, we're supposed to be reflecting to the world what He's like because He changes us from the inside out. We become more like Him. The world looks at us. They're supposed to see icons. An icon is a... That's a word used for image bearers. Icons, little images of God. That's what we're supposed to be. We're icons. We're image bearers. We should act towards others as he acts towards us. One of the ways that he acts towards us is with gentleness. So that's one reason why we should act towards each other in this room. When we're people who care, one of the ways we're people who care, that's our motto around here, 
One of the ways we show we care is we're gentle. We might have the ability to tell somebody off, to put somebody down, to act critical to somebody, but we choose not to. It's strength under control. We're not reactionary. We act instead of react. That's what God wants to do because of how God acts towards us. That's one way, one reason he would tell the church that. But why else should our relationships in the family of God be governed by gentleness? Because it's the opposite of the world around us. In Christ, we are different. We march to the beat of a different drummer. Listen, friends, we don't win through strength and power. That's how the world wins. It's why I believe the church and government can never connect. I'm not talking about separation of church and state. I'm talking about when you try to take the two groups together and merge them, the church always loses because one's a power base of, of, of strength and power and destruction. The other one is a, 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 says we will live by grace and love and forgiveness and it never mesh together. You know how we win? How do we win? We win through death and resurrection. That's how the church wins. Christians win through death and resurrection. We know that even if we are mistreated, God will redeem that situation and bring something good from it. Usually what he brings from it is the development of our character. Gentinus says, I will treat people lovingly and kindly even when I have the power and the authority and the opportunity to win and to dominate and to fight back. Even if that means I will be mistreated because I know that I can trust my heavenly father to bring good somehow out of it. Gentleness trusts in God's ability and God's strength and God's sovereignty. Fear and insecurity trust in my own strength. And often what we do is we function out of fear and insecurity. Fear and insecurity function out of my human ability and strength. And i got to tell you something, friends. I have learned that I am always better off trusting in God than trusting in myself. Always better off. So gentleness should govern our Christian relationships. How we treat one another should be governed by gentleness. Because we're icons of God. We reflect God's goodness and his glory. And we're the opposite of the world. What else? What else? How else should gentleness affect relationships? Number two, gentleness should guide our outreach. Gentleness should guide our outreach. Let me explain. What we're doing is we're expanding the circle. From our relationships within the body of Christ to our relationships with those who don't yet know Jesus. Grab your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Just a couple pages back. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Listen to what it says. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness... You are blessed. That has to do with winning through death and resurrection and trusting God. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with what? Gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, 
So that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So Peter, what's going on in this book, is Peter was writing to Christians who are being mistreated because of their faith in Christ. And he says, maybe you're even going to suffer for simply doing what is good. And his response is this, be gentle anyway. In other words, don't treat them as they are treating you. Don't go blow for blow for with them. Don't argue and don't fight and don't think it's about winning. No, rather, the way we act towards those who don't yet know Jesus is, he says, act with them with a spirit of gentleness, strength under control. Why? Why, when you have the ability to put them down and win the argument, would you do this? Because it's never, friends, about proving a point or winning an argument when you're dealing with somebody who does not yet know Jesus. That's one of the great misunderstandings of interacting with people who you want to see come to know Jesus. Is you think the goal, is sometimes we think the goal is to win an argument or prove a theological point. It's never about winning a theological point or winning an argument. It's always about revealing the reality of Jesus in you. It's about when they see you, you are a living example of Christ. And them seeing, you know what? I know that guy. I grew up with that guy. I was just talking recently. I'm like a couple years away from my 40th high school reunion. 40th. It's impossible. I can't be a couple years away from my 40th high school reunion. But you know why I should go to my 40th high school reunion? Because they know what I was like. That's why I've had a hard time going back. Because they, see, you guys don't know what I was like. They know what I was like. You know what they should see? That guy is different. That guy looks like Jesus. He's the most argumentative guy in the world. He's not the most argumentative guy in the world anymore. And we think somehow this is the deal, that in, in reaching people or spending time with people who aren't yet Christians, we believe it's about trying to prove our points. Well, don't you know that, you know, you hell-bent evolutionist? You know, I believe in creation. I'm not going to argue with an unbeliever about it. I'm going to let him see Jesus in me, and then we're going to have a good conversation about something. It's always about revealing the reality of Jesus. It's not about winning an argument or making a point. Jesus didn't save the world by winning an argument or proving a point. How did Jesus save the world? By dying for the lost. He gave himself. He revealed something different. We don't lead people to Jesus by proving theological arguments. We reveal love. A love so powerful that it causes me to be gentle towards someone who may be difficult or even abusive towards me. Gentleness reveals the love of Jesus. He says, so how do you deal towards people who don't yet know Jesus? Paul writes, you know what? Or Peter writes, you know what? Treat them with gentleness. Strength under control. Let's talk about one more area where gentleness needs to be revealed through us. And it's this. Gentleness should guard our restorations. And I'll explain that. Should guard our restorations. Galatians 6.1 says this. Brethren, 
even if anyone is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to himself, so that you too will not be tempted. So the circle is expanding even wider. Gentleness should govern our Christian relationships. Gentleness should guide our outreach. And gentleness should guard our restorations. And I think this might be the hardest one of all. It's about being gentle towards those who have sinned, maybe even sinned towards you that are within the body of Christ. They're your brother or your sister, and they've hurt you in a way that they should not have hurt you. You see, the church has a terrible reputation for judging and rejecting members of our own body, our family, when they fall. We have a terrible, I'm not saying this church, I'm saying the church as a whole has a terrible reputation. You can think about high-profile ministers who have fallen and look at the hatred that is expressed towards them. Now, anybody you ever get Babylon B? I'm afraid to say it because I said it last time and a whole bunch of you did. Babylon B is an online satirical Christian, um, what would you say, blog? And it's hilarious a lot of times. But it crosses the line a bunch of times. It's hilarious. They'll take something that we do in church and they'll just make total fun of it to show why do we do that? It's just kind of dumb. But this last week I read a Babylon Bee and it was about Jim Baker. You know who Jim Baker is? Jim Baker was, he's a son of God pastor. He's in our fellowship. And he went to prison because back in the, it would have been in the 80s, um, he had the one of the biggest TV ministries in the world and it was found out that he was a crook and he was having affairs and all this stuff. And he went to jail for, for mail fraud. They sold shares of timeshares and this thing. And, and so he went to jail. And matter of fact, Billy Graham and his son were the ones who ministered to him while he was in jail and really brought restoration into his life. But Babylon B just did this thing about Jim Baker. And it was, it was horrible. It was so mean-spirited and just nasty and making fun of them, thinking they don't have any concept of restoration. Now, I don't, you know, I'm not bashing them for, I don't know that who they are, but here's the deal. Um, that's just the way we often have acted in the church world. Somebody sins, they show that they're actually human, and we all are. I don't care where you, if you stand up here on Sunday morning, or you sit there, we're as absolutely average and human as anybody else. And when somebody fails... What the church world has historically done is just attacked and destroyed them. Well, how does the Apostle Paul say we should treat someone who has been caught in sin? He says gently. Is he saying restore them? He's not saying that here. He deals in other places of saying, hey, somebody in ministry has got high, high expectations or Christians, you know, they're caught in, in sin. They have to be restored and they have to be dealt with and they can't just be let going on that way. But in this situation, what's he saying? How should we deal with someone who's caught in sin. He says, gently. That's how we should do it. That's not taking the opportunity to kick them when they're down, but to rather offer them a hand up and to help to restore them. Do you know why, do you know why we should do that? Other than the fact that it's a reflection of how God treats us? Because someday the them just may be the you. Someday the them, the person who did it, may well be you. That's why Paul, what he means when he says, each one look to himself. None of us is perfect, 
And we just might be the one who is in need of gentle forgiveness and restoration someday. We probably will be. So let's make sure we treat other people the way we want to be treated. So let's wrap up today. Gentleness is a big deal. Scripture specifically applies it to our relationships to one another, with those yet who don't know Jesus yet, and to those who have fallen into sin. And my, my prayer, and it's been the prayer and the hope for this entire um, series on, on the fruit of the Spirit, is that what we'll do is now that we've talked about this, and as your kids are talking about this in kids' church, that you will spend some time in the next seven days talking about this. Sometime in the next seven days, talking with your family or your close friends about this and saying, you know, in your connect group about this, saying, how are we this way? You know one reason we don't want to do this on this topic? We might not like what we see when we look in the mirror. When I speak on this topic, I look in the mirror and I don't... You know what I thought of? And, 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 and I won't tell the whole details, but I thought about a situation with me and Brett where we were inter- interacting with another person and... And I went in. We prayed before we did this. It was nothing to do with any of you. We prayed before we went in for a situation. And we got into that situation. And buttons got pushed. Button got pushed. And I just blew a gasket. I mean, the maddest I've been forever. And, and Brett and Josh were talking a different time. And I heard it that he said to Josh, we've seen Dad mad. But it was a whole new level of mad. And when I was writing this, I thought, you know what? They didn't see, didn't see gentleness. But you know what? If we're going to get better, we're going to become more like Jesus, we have to be honest. You know, some moms, the way you run your house is through anger, domination. My mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so what that is, it's not gentleness. Gentleness is strength under control. And I would just challenge us. Let's, let's take seven days and honestly think about this, talk to our families about it, find out how do we do in this area. And then you say this, Lord Jesus, help us. Lord Jesus, help me. Because you know what? This is all along we've been saying, this is not trying harder. All this fruit of the Spirit is not me just trying harder. Remember, I think the first week I had you all go like this, try real hard to make love grow. Remember that? Like eight weeks ago, let's make love grow. And it didn't work. It's not about trying harder. This is about walking with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit bring internal transformation in us that making us more like Jesus then is revealed in our relationships with other people. And so this week, as we give the Holy Spirit the opportunity, what he'll do is he'll put his finger, and here's what he's, because he's, the Holy Spirit is so, is so kind to us because his goal is not to win, his goal is to help us. So as I went through this, I remembered a situation that Brett and I were in with another person. The Holy Spirit put his finger on it. And you know what? I was 100% right in that situation. I was 100% right about that situation. The other person was 120% wrong. <laughs> and, and the reason it went off the top is they were wrong towards my kid. And even though he was an adult, this was a couple years back, he was an adult, he was still my kid. And it was like, you ain't going to do that. Well, guess what? My strength went out of control. So the Lord put his finger on that. It says, Four years ago, the Lord put his finger on it and said, Mark, remember that? Don't, don't be too cocky when you're talking to people. Remember that? Are you better? How do we get better? And you say, Holy Spirit, help me grow. And you, and you say, God, I, w- I want to walk with you. 
You spend time with him. You allow him to put his finger on it. You know, he peels back one layer of the onion and he goes, let's look at that. He doesn't peel back the whole onion at one time. We couldn't handle it. But here's what I know. If you get done today and you go, man, that was a funny, nice sermon. Pastor Mark didn't screw up too bad today. Let's go home and have some pie. Let's watch the Packer game. We still got leftover pie and turkey in the refrigerator. And you forget all about what we just talked about. I don't even know if it'll make that much of a difference. But if you take this as an opportunity for the next seven days to say, let's talk about this, let's pray about it, let me at least ask the Lord about it, here's what I know, the Holy Spirit, he'll put his finger on that thing from four years ago or maybe four minutes ago. And he'll say, Mark, is that the way you want to live? And I go, no, Jesus, I really don't. He goes, okay, surrender it to me. Let's bring some healing. You know what, he shows you, why did that happen? Hmm, there's some insecurities there. Let's talk about that. What are you insecure about? Guess what, Mark? You're one in whom Christ dwells and delights and you live in a stable, unshakable kingdom of God. You don't have to respond that way. And he helps you see why did you do what you do. But if you don't go through the process, you don't grow and learn. So you have an opportunity. What are you going to do with with what God's given you today? All I know is his goal for us is to make us better. Right? So my hope and my prayer for me and for you is that with God's help, he will help us to grow and to mature. So in this situation, we treat each other with gentleness so that when any new person walks in this church, and they'd say it all the time to me, I just had, we just had our connect group, a, a newer gal to our church um, is in our, in our connect group, and she said, these are literally the nicest people on the planet. They are so kind, they're so helpful, they're so wonderful. This church is awesome. I hear that all the time about you. But you know what? Let's keep getting more like Jesus so that God can keep bringing more people in that need help and wholeness and healing like all of us do and that we grow together because that's God's plan. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you love us enough that you help us. You love us enough. You don't just abandon us. You didn't just set us loose one day and say, well, good luck. Instead, you said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to gently remind you and bring things to your attention so that you can grow and get better. Better in the sense of being more like you. And so, Lord, today, as hard as it is, uh, sometimes because we are insecure, this morning and just this, this moment, we open up our hearts to you. We say, Lord, at least on this one topic, this idea of gentleness, strength under control, would you show us how we're lining up? Would you show us how we could get better? Would you maybe even dig down deeper and show us a reason why, if maybe we just had something modeled to us our whole life that was the opposite of gentleness or or maybe we've only protected ourselves by not being gentle. We're, we're afraid and so we, so we lash out to, to hit instead of being hit. And Lord, in all these things, we know that the healing, the help, the growth comes from you. And so Lord, help us, we pray. We ask you, we give you permission over the next week to, to help show us these things. We're spending time in your word, we're spending time in prayer. Show us areas in our lives where, where you could bring a situation up. We could go, okay, how do I grow? 
Lord, I do know this, that when you bring those situations up, you never do it to hurt us or condemn us. So there's never an accusatory voice. If the voice is accusatory, it's not your voice. And so Lord, help us to not live by that accusatory voice. But your gentle and your love and your kind words to us. Maybe you're here today as we're praying. Maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you've been here longer than me. But you know this. You need Jesus in your life. You you know whether or not He is the King and Lord of your life or if you are King and Lord. And I think gentleness has a lot to do with this. If we think we have to take care of ourselves all the time and it's all about me, then we have to fight and we have to scrap. But maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You've never asked Him to be your Lord and Savior. You've never, you never surrendered your life to Him and allowed Him to pick you up and to, to make you brand new and to, to breathe His life into you. If that's you today, and something inside of you is saying, I want to say yes to Jesus, you can say yes to Him right now. You could pray a simple prayer just like this, and I'll just, and I'll just show you how you could pray. And in the quietness of this moment, you can say yes to Jesus. You could just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm hurting and I'm empty. And I'm tired of doing it on my own. And so Jesus, right now, I invite you into my life. I ask you to come and forgive me of all the junk Heal me of the pain and I want to be brand new in you. And so Jesus, on this day, with my arms wide open, I welcome you into my life. I ask you to receive me and to make me brand new. So Lord Jesus, on this day, I want to begin to follow you. Help me to do that, I ask. That's all it takes is a simple prayer of turning to Jesus. So Lord, thank you that you are here for us, you love us. We trust you.